this message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. I'm so glad that God is moving so much among us already today. And Russ, I totally get what you're saying. And Jesus' love is, is overwhelming, and our love for him should be as well. And it's just amazing what he's done for us. It is absolutely outstanding that God sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die but have eternal life. That's just fantastic. Shall we just pray before we open the word together? Lord, I thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, as we turn to your word now and consider some things, Lord, that your word is living and active and moves in our lives and equips us and gives us all the authority and power that we need for our day-to-day lives. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan and purpose for each one of us and that you want to equip us now as your body, as your people, to be dynamic and powerful in in what we do and where we go. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, If you're listening to the podcast today, um, please stay focused on the road, um, but know that this will be much more beneficial to you if you have the PowerPoint. So my email is williamlyon, sorry, william.lyon at livingrockchurch.org.uk. It will bless you anyway, but if you have a moment, pull over to the side of the road and write that email down. And get the PowerPoint, because then you'll be doubly blessed. Okay? So I'd like us to um, consider a few things today. When I was thinking about what to call this, I thought, this is not what I'm going to call this. But God said, this is the title for today. And I said, I've not really spoken in front of everybody before, and is this going to look kind of like... This is the preach to end all preaches, and this is the, 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 everything that we need. Um, I said, I'm not sure about this, but God said, no, this is, this is the title for today. So the title for today is, Shall We Change the World Now? And I believe that's because the things we're going to consider together are vitally important and fundamental for us changing the world, literally changing the world. So just have that massive thought in your head to start with, if you, if you can, and we'll go through some things together. I want us to to carry on some of the things we've been considering about the harvest and Roger spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about being equipped for the journey, having the the tools for the journey and the resources that we need. So I'd like to pick up a few of those things and particularly think about three things which I believe are essential for our harvest, if you like. Um, So obviously we're looking at harvest, um, lots of scriptures come to mind, so if we could all turn to Leviticus 26, that would be great. That was a joke, by the way. That's not the most obvious scripture for harvest, but that's the one God gave me. Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 to 13 say this. It's titled in my Bible, Blessings for Obedience. And it says, Do not make idols or set up carved images or sacred pillars or sculptured stones in your land so you may worship them. I am the Lord your God. You must keep my Sabbath days of rest and show reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you the seasonal rains. The land will then yield its crops, and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest, and your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. You will eat your fill and live securely in your own land. I will give you peace in the land, and you will be able to sleep with no cause for fear. I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. 
Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. All of your enemies will fall beneath your sword. I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile and multiplying your people. I will fulfill my covenant with you. You will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain and make room for the new harvest. I will live among you, and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your gods, and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck, so you can walk with your heads held high. That's quite good, isn't it? That's really good. That's really, really good. That is really good. Um, as I was reading this scripture, um, and for some time now, God has been showing me a picture, and I'd like to, to share that with you, which looks something like this. A bit bizarre, but, but bear with it. So God was showing me a picture of a field where each one of us has a section of the field in, in a grid kind of shape. And each one of us has our, our own kind of harvest area, if you like. And we're all interconnected with one another with these two-way arrows of this constant stream of us um, giving tools to one another and sharing everything that we need with one another for the harvest so that we're all equipped and we're, we're helping one another to do that. And, and as we do that and as we harvest in our own kind of patch of land, we start to see the fruit come up and the fruit comes into the barn and into God's house and comes to maturity. And that person then comes and takes their own space on the grid and they start to harvest. And there's these interconnecting arrows and all these tools and things being shared with one another. And the fruit comes up into the barn, out into another square. And it's this constant stream of, if you can imagine a square for every person on earth, then that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking about here. And it's this, this idea of us all helping one another whilst doing our own thing and being in covenant and, and knowing the importance of God's house and the importance of, of covenant with one another, of sharing these tools and the impact that has on us reaching the world from where we are in our day-to-day, ordinary, everyday life, which is extra ordinary because we have Jesus living inside of us. So, so if you can bear that in mind and... Thinking about the harvest, there's these three things that I wanted us to consider this morning, which are God's house, God's, uh, the covenant of God's people, and reaching into God's world. So firstly, the importance of God's house. Now in the scripture I read, it said in verse 2, "'You must keep my Sabbath days of rest and show reverence for my sanctuary.'" I am the Lord. Now after that it says, if you follow my decrees and obey my commands, and there's this long list of awesome blessings that are going to happen if you follow these commands. And so this is one of the commands. Show reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Um, There we go, at the top there. And so I thought, well, I think we kind of know what that means, but it would be good for us to really know what that means. So that word reverence there is the word yare, which is the same word that's used for fear in the Bible, to to say that you fear the Lord. It's this kind of reverential fear where it means that you're standing in awe. And the awe is not a a fearful awe, but a reverential awe where the individual recognises the power and position of the individual revered and renders him proper respect. So that word reverence has a lot packed into it. It's this kind of reverential fear and it's this reverential fear for the sanctuary. And the sanctuary, we know, is a, a holy place, or um, it says especially a palace or a chapel or, or a hallowed place or a holy, holy place. Now, the amazing thing about this word sanctuary is that it's actually all of us. We, we are that sanctuary. If you um, could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, then we'll look at why that is. And when you get there, it's verses 16 and 17. So 1 Corinthians 3, 
verse 16 and 17, says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, it it might seem a little far-fetched to say that temple and sanctuary are exactly the same, because they are different words. But that word temple, uh, it it actually means, is the word nahos, which means uh, it's used of the temple at Jerusalem, but only of the sacred edifice or sanctuary itself. So this word is directly linked to the word sanctuary that we're looking at in um, Leviticus 26, verse 2. It is that, that very holy of holies. It is that very sanctuary. And we're told that we are that sanctuary. We are that holy of holies. And what it's saying here in, in that verse is that we're to show a, a reverential fear for when we're all together. That puts such a power on our meeting together. That puts such such a, a weight on, on our expectations when we come together, when we meet as the family of God, as the, as the people of God, that we're to have this reverential fear of, of our meeting together. It means that when we're all gathered together, we are the sanctuary of God, God being the I am, the, the, the awesome, awesome God. So it should be of great importance in our thinking when we gather together. And I just think that's a challenge for us, is do we put a great importance on our meeting together? Yes. Is that my first priority? Is a Sunday morning meeting or a, a Wednesday evening life group, is that first in my thinking of importance? Is, do I really value that as much as I should? And probably no, because we can always do it more. But we really are to have this awesome reverential kind of expectation and, and, and fear of, of when we gather together. And, and it's very, very important. And it's important for a few reasons. Firstly, because in God's house is God's presence. I was so glad of what happened last week. I was, I was going to speak last week, but the Holy Spirit was just doing so many things in our meeting. And it was such a great example of the presence of God being in the meeting and in, when we gather together as the sanctuary of God. And I thought that's, that's a great lead-up to today because it, it gives a, a real concrete example. Um, could we turn to 2 Chronicles, chapter 5, just to consider the presence of God when we gather together? Because it is, it's different from when we're on our own, when we're worshipping him individually. This is an awesome piece of the Bible here. 2, uh, two Chronicles 5. And verses 7 to 14. If you could just try and imagine this scenario. It's, yeah, it's quite awesome. So, 2 Chronicles 5 and verse 7. Then the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left Egypt. Then the priests left the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. And the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and all of their sons and brothers, were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar, playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. 
He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests couldn't continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 20, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. These priests in 2 Chronicles couldn't continue their service because of the glorious presence of God that came like a thick cloud in that place. And then we're told that we can boldly enter in to the most holy place, to the very holy of holies, the very presence of the living God. And that kind of presence, that glorious cloud that means you can't carry on the service, that is nothing compared to what we can have in the presence of God now that we can enter the most holy place, now that a price has been paid for us and that curtain has been torn and we can boldly enter and meet face to face with God. That is awesome. That is awesome. The presence of God is in the house of God. And to me, that means it's important. It means I put more importance on how I view the house of God. It's also, impo- Oops. It's also uh, important because in God's house, God will equip his people. God will equip his people by addressing the whole community. In Exodus chapter 19, God, as he did then, appeared, was appearing on a mountain. That was what he used to do, his kind of method of speaking to the people. And he was, here, he was on this mountain, and, and Moses comes up the mountain, and this is a massive paraphrase, but God kind of says, I've got a really important message for, for my people, and um, you need to get them all ready, um, because I've got something important to say, and it's important they're ready to hear it. If they're not all purified, then it's not going to happen. But you, they've all got to be ready together. It's important that the whole community purifies themselves and gets themselves ready because I've got a very important message. And so that's what happens. And Moses goes down, and they, they all purify themselves. And this mountain that you can't step onto because you'll be, be stricken down, it's, it's the, the presence of God again. It's, it's, it's awesome. And people get themselves ready, and God comes, and he addresses the entire community with a very important message being the Ten Commandments that come in Exodus 20. And it's this kind of idea of the, the people had to be united. The whole community had to be together on this because God's message was for everybody. It was important that the people were united in their thinking, in their approach, in how they viewed God, in their being ready, in their being pure. And God will address his whole community in his house. And it's important that we view that as important and get ourselves ready for that. I like the verse in 2 Chronicles where it says they were ready whether or not they were on duty that day. And I think that's something for us to lay hold of a little bit is, is whether or not I'm playing keys or, or whatever. I should be ready. I should be, I should be worshipping throughout the week. I should be, be listening to God and speaking to him and, and, and hearing him for words of, of knowledge and, and the gifts of the Spirit. I should be doing all of those things so that when I come together with the whole community and everybody else has done that as well, we can expect this glorious presence of God to come among us and for God to move through his people in awesome, powerful ways. So God's house is very important because he will address the whole community and he will build us up and send us out. Could you turn to Acts chapter 2? Is this okay for people so far? Good. It's just a kind of of glance at, really. But at the beginning of Acts 2, it says that all the believers were gathered together in in one place. And then they were out in the crowds. The Holy Spirit comes, and the people are out in the crowds. And they're built up by the Holy Spirit, and then they're out in the crowds. And then 3,000 uh, 3, get added to the community, and, and they meet together, and they share meals together, and they're in one another's homes. 
and then they're out again and people are added daily and there's this constant building up and going out and building up and going out. And I won't say much more on that for now, but just, just to be aware that as we come together, God will build us up and he'll send us out. And partly by sowing seed into us, that is to be sown. When we, when we come together, God speaks to us and he puts seed in us. And that seed is, is awesome. It's, it's great. And I've got some seeds here. Um, so the seed of God comes and it's important. I hope I can eat this. It's important that uh, we, take, we take the word in. That does me good. It's important that I do that. But this is quite chewy. <laughs> that, is, that is important. It's important that I let the, let the seed go down deep into me and, and become rooted and, and be nurtured in me. But what a tragedy it would be if my seed just kind of stayed here within me and just on me. Even worse, even worse, if I was to come to a gathering of God's people and the word comes, oh, right. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. The seed comes to us, and it is to go down deep into us, but it's to be sown. It's to say, Stephen, this word has come, and it's very important that you know it, so I want to sow this seed into your life, and it's going to grow in you, and it's going to develop, and it's going to produce fruit. So I just want you to have that, because if I was to throw it away, that would be terrible. Mandy, that's for you as well, and that's for you, John, because this seed is really important. It's important that we sow it around, and the seed that is within us is to be sown out. There's There's a great picture in the first two chapters of Acts, At the beginning of Acts 1, Jesus is with all the disciples and it says he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And you've got, in that gathering, you've got Peter. And you can imagine him there on his iPad making notes. Oh, this is really good. Oh, yeah, this is going to come in handy. Write that down. And he's, and he's, and he's, he's, he's letting the seed go into him and he's keeping it fresh in his memory. But then in Acts 2, this seed is really true. Then in Acts chapter 2, the seed that is within Peter, because it's been sown into him in the, in the congregational gathering, this seed that is within him all of a sudden comes out of him and is sown into other people's lives because the Holy Spirit moves on them and, and everyone's wondering what's going on. And, and all of a sudden, this seed about the kingdom of God that Jesus has sown into him, Peter starts talking about, in verses 14 to 40 of chapter 2, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about how salvation comes from the Lord. He's talking about how God raised Jesus from the dead. He's talking about the joy of the Lord's presence. He's talking about Jesus being exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, about how the promise of salvation is for all people. And 3,000 people believed that day because the seed that was within Peter when he'd been spending time with Jesus, he was sowing into their lives and they caught hold of it and they thought, yes, this is for me. Let me take that seed and I'll put it in myself. And then day to day afterwards, people are added because these 3,000 people now have this seed in them which is to be sown out. And as we come to God's house, the presence of God is there and the whole community is there and he's building us up and he's sending us out and he's putting seed in us which is to be sown into our ordinary day-to-day lives where we are every day and it's to see people saved. It's to see people be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because that's God's ultimate plan and purpose is to, to see this amazing thing happen through us and uh, through the Holy Spirit through us. And finally just on God's house is to say that it's a place of refuge, refreshing, refreshing, restoration, and redirection. Chris talked about this a few weeks ago, um, so I'm, I'm not going to, to labour on it for too long. But, but one of the things that Chris said was that he talked about the unmatchable love of Christ and the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit. And when God's house is filled with both of those things, it's inevitable that there will be refreshing refuge, restoration and redirection because if the Holy Spirit is in the house then as Galatians 5 23 tells us there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and if all of those things are in the house of God then how can it not be a place of refuge? How can it not be a place of redirection when all the gifts of the the Spirit are going on, when there's wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing and miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. If all of these things are going on, 
then there's got to be redirection when the Holy Spirit brings me a word of knowledge of somebody. There's got to be refuge when the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit of peace and love, is in the house. There's got to be restoration with kindness and gentleness and and moving people in the right direction. There's got to be all of those things because it's a house filled with the unmatchable love of Christ and the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit. So that's God's house. It's quite a good house, really. I think. The covenant of God's people. Just to say, that was the longest section. So they're not all going to be like this. So don't worry. I'm aware of the time, and we won't be dragging on for too long. So the covenant of God's people. And here the idea is that we've, we've all got tools, and they're to be shared among people, that we're to, to meet the needs of people. Um, and give people all that they need so that we are effective together. Could we turn to Matthew chapter 22? Verses 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I think covenant can sometimes seem like a bit of a confusing word. There's a lot packed into it. It's quite a big word, and we say it a lot, but perhaps we're not always so sure of what it really means to its full extent. I'm not going to attempt to do that today because we don't have time for that, but I would like us to have an increased idea of what covenant means. And what it really boils down to is those two commandments, I believe, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another as you love yourselves. Um, those two verses at the top there, they may seem slightly odd, but I think they're great examples of covenant. You will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. It's this idea of us all together overcoming people's individual obstacles. It's that I'm so much more effective if I've got John beside me and we're doing this together. And, and it's so much easier to take down the enemy when there's more of us. And it's this idea of us being together and overcoming. And we can walk with our heads held high. And that's for, for all of us. It's this idea of us all being, knowing who we are in Christ and being not, not proud, but, but, but knowing kind of proud. Do you know what I mean? Having your heads held high and, and all together knowing we're so confident and secure in who we are. We're, so, we're such a powerful people. We're, we're all together in this. And, and it's the same for, for each of us. I'd like to read this... Um, I've borrowed this from a church in, in Blairsville, but this is their statement of, of what covenant is going to be for them. And I just thought it was fantastic. It's got um, about 24 different scriptures referenced, which I won't mention them all, but again, if you'd like those references, please um, get in touch with me. But it says, Therefore, as members of God's covenant family, known as First Baptist Church of Blairsville, we commit ourselves to God and to one another to be Christ-like in our lives and relationships through the presence, guidance, and power of God's Holy Spirit. We will love one another as Christ loved us. Honor one another above ourselves. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Encourage and build up one another. Comfort one another and offer hospitality to one another. We will have a spirit of unity based on our common bond in Christ. Be united in mind and convictions. Meet together regularly have equal concern for each other, suffer when one suffers, and rejoice when another is honoured, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. We will use our God-given knowledge to instruct one another, use our spiritual gifts to bless one another, use the word of Christ to teach and admonish one another, and nurture one another towards spiritual maturity measured by the life and ministry of Jesus. We will not talk negatively about one another, not pass judgment on one another, not to put any stumbling block in one another's way. We will be morally pure in our thoughts, actions, and language. 
We will be generous in our giving and we will be filled with the Spirit. We will confess our sins to one another, pray for each other, warn those who are disruptive, encourage the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with one another, forgive one another as the Lord forgave us, and gently restore those who sin. We will let the light of our godly lives shine together to bring glory to God. That's quite a statement to, to live up to, but it's a great challenge, and, and that's, that's what covenant is. It's all of those things, but really, it just boils down to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving one another in the same way. It's very simple. I had quite a few um, different jobs in the past few years whilst I was at university and, and other things, and I always remember writing up my CV and the kind of standard line I would put on most of them was, I work well as an individual, but I also work well in a team. And that always ticks the boxes for people. They, they want you to be confident and secure in, in, in yourself, but they also want you to be part of a team. And, and that's, that's kind of what's going on here. We do have a job to do. We are all doing a job. We're doing God's job what he, that he wants us to do. And it's important that we are working well as an individual, but it's important that we work well as a team and that we're sharing all these tools with one another all the time and we're quick to meet needs and we're supportive and we don't speak negatively about one another and we love one another as Christ loves us and we do all of these things to, to be a great team and, and to, to do the job that, that God has for us. There's a great example of covenant in, in Acts 2, 42-47 about the, sh- the sh- sharing of, of all the tools. I'll just read that to us quickly. Acts chapter 2. It says in 42 to 47, this, just think of covenant as, as I read this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in, the homes, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the, all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's something to aspire to. <laughs> that great example of covenant, of sharing all that we have with one another, of just meeting the needs. And it's, it's not always a, a big radical thing. It's, it's just things like speaking a word into somebody's life, of encouraging somebody from the word of God. It's things like saying, I'm going to pray for you this week because I know you're facing so and so, but I'm just going to pray for you and stand with you in that. I just want us to, to be in covenant about this, to be standing together, to be unified. It's just about having resources and recognizing that I've got these to give away. God doesn't give me gifts to keep to myself. If it's a gift, it's a gift to be given away. So if I've if I've got a tongue, if I've got an interpretation, it's important that because I'm in covenant with Stefan when he brings a tongue, that I bring the interpretation because I, I want to support Stefan. I know that God's given me this gift to, to do that. And it's just about using the gift to support one another and, and doing all of those things. Whatever is useful in the situation. There's a, a verse at the end of, of um, a verse in 1 Timothy 4. and verse 11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Uh, bring Mark with you when you come, for he'll be helpful to me in my ministry. It's that Mark was just going to be useful in that scenario. And because Mark was in covenant with Timothy, he recognized that he was going to be useful, and he went and he supported him. And it's just this idea of, of, of doing all those kinds of things. It's, it's just, just giving what we have and just receiving what others give to us and just being supportive. It's so basic and so simple. But yet I think we can ne- neglect it much more than we should do. And we really must have a, a greater view of our covenant with one another because that's, that's going to be vital for us moving forward and on into all that God's promised us, into all that God wants to do through us. Yeah. It's got to be through a unified body. It's got to be through a church who are united. There should be no lack because we can help one another to not be in lack.
And that's the covenant of God's people. And it's all so important because it all helps us reach God's world. It all helps us reach God's world. And the idea is here that we've each got our own kind of individual harvest spot, if you like. And we're all connected, but at the same time, I'm touching people around me and I'm influencing their lives. And I've got to be, to be uh, viewing that as important. Those two verses are a little bit about reaching God's world, about um, being fruitful and multiplying, basically, which is all good news. So how do we, how do, we do this? Well, it is personal. I've just crossed out nothing there because there's the common... It's, it's nothing personal. Well, actually, it is. It's, it's very personal because... If I can allow the truth of what we've been talking about to go down deep into me, if I can take the words seriously and have a fresh appreciation for how important I am in the plans and purposes of God, it's very personal because it will change my world, firstly. It will change my world. In Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That means that I am made in God's image. That means that I am exactly as I am and where I am and who I am because the I that the I am wants me to be is the I that the I am made me to be. The I am made me as I am to be like the I am. And I am displaying something of the I am that no one else can. I am fantastic. Did everyone understand that? (laughs) That means that I am exactly as I am and where I am and who I am because the I that the I am wants me to be is the I that the I am made me to be. The I am made me as I am to be like the I am. And I am displaying something of the I am that no one else can. I am fantastic. And when I know that that's true... And more so that I know that that's not only true for me, but it's true for for all of us. That changes my world. Because I know that I'm displaying something of God that is unique, that, that nobody else can display. And I know that you're doing that too. And that really does change my world. It changes how I walk around when I'm in a team of people from the church and and we're doing something I know that we're all displaying something of God's image and something really powerful and amazing and a message that God has to tell through each one of us I know that we're doing that I have to count myself in I have to because I am displaying something of God that nobody else can I have to count myself in the church is often described as a body or a family or an army or a house and all of these metaphors if you like are all inclusive images they require everybody it's not a body if the fingers fell off. It's not how it's supposed to be. It's, it's, it requires all of us. My role is vitally important in God's plan to reach the world. My own who I am is vitally important just as it is for you. You need me and I need each one of you. That's how it has to be. And that changes my world. It really does. And even more, it changes the world of those around me of those that I am touching. Because if I can view myself in this way, then it's got to be that the world of those around me is, is going to change. In Arna's book that we've been looking at, he, I can just imagine him saying this. It says, um, could I share a dream I had with you? That's, <laughs> that's a terrible Norwegian accent. Anyway, could I share with you a dream that I had? I was standing in the middle of a field, an enormous, vast field. It spread out as far as the eye could see. Wherever I turned, I could see a ripe harvest, plump maize ready to be golden grain. It was an amazing sight, and it filled me with excitement. But after a while, the excitement turned into frustration. I was standing in this enormous yellow rectangle, looking helplessly around. Lord, I said, where should I start harvesting? Should I start over here? Or should I start at the other end and work my way from there? Where on earth should I start? The Lord of the harvest answered me, Anna, look down. I looked down and noticed that my feet were touching some of the ripe stalks of grain. The Lord of the harvest said, this is where you are to start. 
Oops. This, no. this is where you are to start. You can only harvest the harvest that you are touching. You can only harvest the harvest that you are touching. This dream filled me with joy and peace, and this confirmed that this dream came from God. When I woke up the following morning, I felt relieved. I realized that I did not need to strive to find a ripe harvest. I realized that I was surrounded by it. You can only harvest the harvest you are touching, and you are surrounded by a ripe harvest. In John 4, verse 35, it says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So who am I touching and what am I doing about it? Because the field is ripe for harvest. All around me. I don't have much more to say, but if I could just take two minutes now and then say a few, a couple more things. I'd just like us just to consider who am I touching and what am I doing about it? And I'm only saying this because God told me to do it, so I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each one of us about who we're touching and and what we can do about it. So I'd just like us to take a minute or two now just to listen to the Holy Spirit, which probably means not saying anything and just letting him speak to us to say, who am I touching and what am I doing about it? You know, it's so easy. We just have to be who God's made us to be. We just have to be that person that, that God wants us to be, that God has made us to be in his image. That's all we have to, to do. And when we grasp that and it changes our world, it starts to change the world of those around us and, and people get saved. And when somebody gets saved, it absolutely changes their world. I love what Russ said earlier. It changes your world. It really does. It will change their world, and it will change the world. Because if I come to gatherings of God's people with a reverence for the sanctuary and with an expectation that God will equip us all together, if I receive the word and not only let it work in my own life, but sow it into the lives of others, if I care about my brothers and sisters so much that I am quick to meet the needs that are there and I'm confident that I have people alongside me who are for me, and who will do me good, and who want me to succeed. And if I let all of this change my thinking, and therefore change my world, and change the way that I go about the world, and act, and speak in the world, and inevitably change the world of others too, if I do all of this, and if you do it too, it will change the world. It will change the world. That's not just a statement. That is the truth. It will change the world. Could you just have ready Luke chapter 10 to finish, please? Just while you, you're getting there, and if you could just, just have that ready, I'd just like to finish with some very straightforward maths. One plus one is two. One plus one is two. That means if I add one to one, it doubles. We are a church membership here in, in, in Stony Stanton of about 275 people. And in the same way that 1 plus 1 is 2, 275 plus 275 is 550. If I was to, over the next two months, really work at seeing somebody saved, if I made that my goal, and if we all did that, In two months, we'd go from 275 people to 550 people. 
And when I say people, I don't mean filling seats. I mean people transferred from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's son, into the kingdom where they're not going to perish, where they're going to have eternal life. It's, it's, it's important. 550 people in two months. And let's pretend that we're the only Christians on earth, just us, 275 people. In two months, there'd be 550. And in four months, there'd be 1,100 if it happened again in the next two months. In six months, there'd be 2,200 of us. In eight months, there'd be 4,400. In 10 months, there'd be 8,800 of us. And after a year of every two months, each one of us being really persistent in seeing somebody saved and transforming somebody's life for them, there'd be 17,600 of us. There'd be 17,600 people in the kingdom of light having been removed from a kingdom headed for destruction and death. 17,600 in one year. Now in two years, going by the same maths, there'd be 1,126,400 of us. In three years, 72,089,600 of us. In four years, there'd be 4,613,734,400 of us. And you know how people talk of having a five-year plan. Well, there would be no end of the fifth year because after the first two months, the entire population of the earth, which is about 7.3 billion people, would be saved and more because after two months, we'd be about 9 billion people. That's if each one of us, over the next two months just really made an effort of, of, and somebody was saved and that carried on. That's in four years and about one month. The whole world. So when I say, shall we change the world now? And when I make things like, it will change the world, it's not, it's not a gimmick. It's, this, is, this is serious. If, if I see somebody saved over the next two months, if I really lay hold of this, if I really know that God's house is so important and if I make a priority for me to be there and if I really value it and if I'm in covenant with, with all of you and if, if I'm sharing my resources with you and I'm meeting needs where I can do and if I'm, I'm being useful and I'm sending myself where I need to go and if you're all doing that too if we're all doing that together then it's not just a gimmick to say it will change the world because it actually will <laughs> it actually will change the world in under five years sorry, in just over five years In Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, it says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And the next two words in verse 3, Now go. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go. Now I trust that I've communicated what the Lord wanted me to today. Um, and I, I believe that's a really important message for us. And my challenge to us is, when it says now go, do we say all right, then, yeah, let's go. Or do we kind of say, ooh, uh, not sure about that, Lord. I mean, I know you're in charge of the whole world, and I know you know, I know your plans for me are, are for good and not for harm, and I know you're, you're awesome, but not, not sure about that. That's not to make a mockery. It's just that God has an awesome, awesome plan for the world. And if you today feel like, I want to take this a bit more seriously, I want to commit myself to this afresh I do, I do view God's house as a priority and I, and I want it to be to more so in my thinking and I want to be in covenant with people more, if that's your heart as it is mine then perhaps you'd like to stand with me and, and I'd like just to pray to finish just to commit this all to God and just say that we will go, that we, that we accept his, 
his word to us. Father, I thank you that you sent your son into the world and that he did amazing and miraculous things. And then as he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit into each one of us, into the world, that when we believe in him, he dwells in us and and we can do all of these things too, that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, that Jesus, you live in us by your Holy Spirit. Father, we take your word seriously. Lord, the words that you've been speaking to us today, we take that seriously. And and Lord, our response is yes. Yes, God, I will view your house with all the importance that it deserves, with that reverential fear for the sanctuary. Lord, I will be in covenant with with my brothers and sisters more so than I have been. I will make that effort to meet needs where I can. I will share my tools with one another and and I expect them to do the same, Lord. Lord, would you provide for me as I provide for others? Thank you, Lord, that that you promised to do that. Lord, I just say yes to to all that you've said today and Lord, I just stand and, and I say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here we are, Lord, would you send us? Lord, we know the impact that this will have on the world if we really take it seriously. Lord, how awesome it is that if each one of us reached somebody over the next two months and carried on, Lord, that that the entire world would be saved. And that's just us here in this building. Father, so to all of your, to everything that you've said to us today, Lord, our response is yes and amen. And Lord, we love you with all of our hearts, and we thank you for your awesome plan and purpose for our lives and all those around us. And Lord, we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.